Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. The Major League Baseball first year player draft almost in the books, but not yet. We were actually recording this during the waning rounds of the MLB draft. It is currently round 34. And this is like one of those rounds where like it's almost as though it's just a computer simulating it. Like it goes so fast. There's just like pick after pick after pick after pick. And uh, but it's still going on. I don't know if we've ever actually done a show during the draft before, like while it's still in progress. I'm sure we probably have. Yeah, I feel like we may have made this joke before. In fact. <laughs> oh, good. But I'm not sure. I'm not That's sure. I, we've been doing this a long time, which is excellent and great. This is. <laughs> episode 212 so there's probably things we've repeated in the past and please forgive us if that that's the case but if it's the 34th round right now you know what that means tyler we still have a chance oh that's true we do still you and me six rounds to go yeah if you've ever listened to the draft conference call uh like tyler said it is at this point just name after name after name uh most teams know who they're taking and if somebody gets pipped right before you okay great you have a master list you just take them off you take the next guy on the list but that being said uh they list draft ids before they announce who the pick is so it's draft id 616032 whatever uh which makes me think, like, do we all have draft IDs? Are they like our social security numbers? There's, uh, there's an old uh, Onion article, which now I have to find the exact wording of. Um, I think it was just one of those headlines. I don't think it was – oh, no, it was an actual, like, blurb. Uh, but the headline is, report 87% of Americans unaware they have been chosen in later rounds of MLB draft. <laughs> it's pretty much true. We could, all, yeah. we could all be that way. Yeah, I mean, if Charleston, it was Charleston, right, that had the NBA draft night where so many people just filled out forms to be eligible for the NBA draft. Uh, For all we know, you know, Rob Manfred has all of our names as an ID number somewhere that some team could just pip us in the 39th round and we would never know it, Um, which how they would get in touch with my agent. It would be really interesting because I do not have one. Um, So I am willing and eligible to sign for as little as six figures if teams need me. Um, oh man, but. I'll go five figures. <laughs> I'll go high five figures. Let's say, let's say high that. five figures. Okay, all right. is that um, just like a a high five? Is that all that is? You'll <laughs> you'll join minor league baseball for a high five? Yeah, I can. I can well, no, I feel like no, feel no, like probably not. Things like that before in my sporting media career. Um, I'm just looking at the. I clicked on top available for some reason uh, on the MLB.com draft tracker. There are still twelve prospects ranked in the MLB pipeline top. 
200 who have not been drafted yet, including 37th overall ranked Brooks Lee, a shortstop from San Luis Obispo Senior High School in California. I don't I don't get it. I'm sure well, there's a whole lot of stories with all of these dudes, but yeah, I mean, so Brooks many. Lee, his, his dad is the coach at Cal Poly. Oh, that's right. He's got so trying to sign him away from away playing from for, his for his father dad. in college. I mean, again, if we're Although this late in the draft, seventh ranked overall talent, you could think you'd throw enough figures out there. Right. Like, hey, come on, Brooks. Or, or just like you, at a certain point, you just take them and then say like, hey, we have exclusive negotiating rights with right, you right. for a little bit. It's probably not going to work, but hey, let's exchange some numbers and just see what happens. Or I've heard this happen before, too. A guy will get taken in the 37th round, and it's not so much like, hey, let's negotiate. It's just like, hey, let's talk. So when you do come out of right, Kyle Poly like or you. whatever. So three years from now, maybe we'll have yeah. this conversation again. You have our number. Um, you've talked to us before. It's going to be easier to negotiate. If we have to take you in the second round next time, you're like, I kind of want to go back for my senior year. Hey, at least I'm talking to Bill or something like that. Right. Um, so, it, yeah, these inter- these rounds can get kind of interesting in that way of the politics that get played with them. But, um, you know, you never know what will happen. I, I always go back to – uh, CJ Edwards became, you know, a breakout prospect and our minor league pitcher of the year a couple of years after he was taken in a round of the draft that doesn't even exist anymore. So there are always gems to be found in in these later rounds. We just it'll be a while before we know about it. It is uh, a crazy time of year for for prep players and especially for college players. Uh, but we're entering really the final minutes of the uh, MLB draft in 2019. And with that, we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. I don't think I even uh, said that, but uh, I'm Tyler Ron. He's Sam Dykstra. Episode 212, and we got a lot coming up for you. Uh, but three strikes we'll talk uh, in a little while. We're going to open this with more draft discussion. Sam was uh, at the MLB draft's first night, the first round on Monday at MLB Network in Chicago's New Jersey. Um, Really not that crazy of a first round. We heard so many weird rumors before things got started on Monday night of, oh, are the Orioles going to go away from Hadley Rushman? What's the what's the fallout if they decide to make some wild pick? And then, like, everybody picked pretty much who you kind of expected them to pick. Um, not a ton of surprises, really, in the, in the big picks among uh, draft selections on Monday. No, not at all, really. Um, I, I think you have to go maybe as far as – Number nine with Shea Langiers of uh, the catcher from Baylor uh, going to the Braves. Before it was like, hey, this is one we don't really know how it's going to go. Uh, the top eight picks were pretty well, not established necessarily, but um, you know, we all thought they were going to go a certain way, and maybe there was some politicking involved. Uh, certainly, the Orioles saying like, hey, we might go away from Rushman maybe we can talk Bobby Witt into taking a certain number or Andrew Vaughn into taking a certain number. But at the end of the day, they took the best player available. I think everybody agrees with that. A switch hitting catcher, uh, one who's incredibly gifted as a catcher, incredibly gifted as a hitter. Uh, he had a 411, 575, 751 slash line this year with 17 homers. He, he walked twice as many times as he struck out. Uh, Seems like he's an incredible leader. You have to be one to be a catcher, but he works really well in the locker room with pitchers. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to add him to that Orioles mix. Um, he becomes the shining star of that system. There's no doubt about it. Whoever they were going to take was probably going to become that usurping Ryan Mountcastle as the top prospect. Uh, but 
Rushman becomes somebody who they can actively build around. Um, hopefully they can build around him in the lineup. Hopefully he can help lead a pitching staff, um, can be solid behind the plate for a long time. You know, the Orioles have some experience, not necessarily this front office, but the franchise and the fan base as a whole in terms of getting invested in really talented catchers. Matt Wieters was going to be, you know, one of the game's best catchers at one point. And, you know, he was a really good catcher during his time in Baltimore, maybe not the next Joe Maurer or Buster Posey. Uh, but, you know, the Orioles have been bef- been through this before. I think Rushman probably is the best catching prospect in baseball since uh, a Buster Posey. Um, he certainly becomes the first catcher taken first overall since Joe Maurer um, in 2001. So, yeah, a lot of expectations placed at his feet here, but the Orioles – you know, going through this rebuild process, they needed a really strong talent to lead them there. Rushman is that talent. Uh, No doubt he's the best talent in this draft. No doubt he's one of the best talents to come through the draft in a long time. Um, Build around him, see where it goes from there. Uh, Very little drama from there. Kansas City Royals taking Bobby Witt Jr. at number two. Uh, Uber-talented shortstop coming out of a Texas high school. A little iffy on age. Uh, he is a little bit old for this draft class coming out of high school, but still. Yeah, 19 and a half. Yeah. Correct? Or is he 19 and a half or is he on the border of 19? Anyway, he's still pretty old um, for the group. But, Which is so funny to say. Right. Uh, <laughs> Which is one thing I get. No, that's right. Old. He's actually not yet 19. He'll be 19 in about a week. Okay, that's what it was. Um yeah, I mean, I know teams that all have their own evaluations of this stuff, and a lot of teams are basing this off systems and what the systems tell you. There's still a lot of projection left in an almost 19-year-old as opposed to you know, somebody who just turned 18 two weeks ago. Um, I get it. You're, you might be getting there before the slope up, so they're easily malleable. They're, you can guide them in the direction you want if they're a couple months younger. But uh, with somebody like Bobby with junior who has plus power a really good arm should probably stick at shortstop uh has a chance to be a five tool player if he improves his hit tool even if he doesn't uh, he has a ceiling as a multiple time all-star uh you don't really blink twice at that and the royals getting to add him to that mix to a really deep draft they had last year uh is pretty exciting and and they always seem time to tied to him at two so that was interesting at three andrew vaughn going to the White Sox. We're not going to go through every pick here, but just some of the more interesting ones. Uh, Andrew Vaughn going to the White Sox. A lot of people think he might be the best overall hitter in this draft. You kind of have to be to be a first baseman, period, but he's also a right-handed hitting, right-handed throwing first baseman. He's also on the shorter side. I think he's only six foot tall. Um, So he's not this hulking first baseman who has... You know, you just look at him, somebody like a Jordan Alvarez or a Pete Alonso, you look at them and you think like, okay, there's a lot of power there. Uh, Vaughn, there is a lot of power there. There is a lot of hit tool. Uh, People really like what they saw out of him at Cal. He won the Golden Spikes Award last year as a sophomore. Uh, This year he hit 381 with a 544 OBP and a 716 slugging percentage. Um, So he's got an incredible eye, really good plate discipline to match that power. Uh, White Sox is going to plug him in. The White Sox – Seemed to like college players the last couple of years, so adding in seemed like a solid pick. Uh, the Marlins, I like their pick with J.J. Blade coming out of Vanderbilt. Um, he leads Division One hitters with 26 home runs, kind of a breakout junior year for him at Vandy. Uh, he's not a, exactly a toolsy outfielder, I wouldn't say. He's, he's not especially fast, uh, but he does have a good arm. So if he does have to play a corner, good arm, good power. 
that's always going to play. Um, and, you know, as much as the Marlins are rebuilding, they're not really there yet. So getting a guy who could have elite power in Blade is pretty exciting. Um, you know, this is their highest pick since 2014 when they took Tyler Kolick uh, second overall. Kolick has not been much of anything since that time, uh, mostly because of injuries. So the Marlins should know, hey, you know, even if we have a top pick, we can't just assume who we take here is going to be a solid addition. Seems like they did their research. Uh, it seems like they always liked Blade based on you know, going to the SEC tournament and some of the places that they popped up. Uh, so they get their man at number four. And rounding out the top five here, Riley Green, an outfielder from a Florida high school, uh, goes to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, you know, Tigers, very pitcher-heavy system right now. Adding Green to the mix kind of mixes things up a little bit more outside of Casey Mize and Matt Manning. Uh, he's a left-handed slugger. Really known for his hit tool, he's shown it off on big stages before playing internationally for Team USA. At six foot one, 191 pounds, he has a chance to grow into some power. When you talk about projectable players, Green kind of ticks that box as well. Um, he's going to need to hit. People don't really think the arm is quite there, so he's probably going to be stuck to left field. But if he hits the way we believe he will, and he if he grows into some power, that's not going to be an issue. Uh, Tiger's definitely betting on the bat there, and you know adding him to that rebuild it in Detroit uh, that, that they're trying to do there as well. Diversifies the profile a little bit uh, for them and, add, again, adds another exciting talent there. So that's the top five. Um, some other things that kind of stood out to me uh, from being in the room. We mentioned the top five. It wasn't until seven when a, a pitcher finally went with Nick Lodolo going to the Cincinnati Reds out of TCU. Um, this is a really down year for pitching. That, not to say that there aren't good pitchers available. Adolo has three above-average pitches, some good control. He's a left-handed pitcher. There's a lot to like there that the Reds got. Um, but there isn't a Casey Mize here by any means. There's not a Hunter Green here by any means in terms of prep pitching. Um, I think he had to go until – who was it? Who was the first uh, prep pitcher? It was Quinn Priester yeah, at number 18. Yeah, 18. There are yeah, only two Pittsburgh pitchers Pirates. taken in the first 16 picks in the draft. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it, it, we talk about, uh, you know, you take the best player available in this draft and sometimes you try to fit in how they're going to work into your bonus pool and all that. Um, so there's some calculus involved there. Uh, but in terms of best player available, it just often wasn't a pitcher. Um, there wasn't the overall riding stuff. Now, down the line, I think somebody like a Jackson Rutledge uh, with the Washington Nationals, uh, he throws to mid to high 90s fastball. He's got a really good slider. All the makings there of somebody who could kind of be a power arm for the Nationals. There's a time when we could be talking about him as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Uh, looking further down the list, Daniel Espino at number 24 to the Cleveland Indians, uh, somebody who – grew up in Panama, moved to the States as a teenager. He has plus-plus fastball and a really good breaker as well uh, in both the slider and the curveball. He's just really raw. If the, the Indians are able to mold him and you know make his delivery consistent and make his control better and, and make everything super tight, I mean, there's all the, the foundation there for a top pitching prospect. There's just too many question marks. Mm -hmm. um, so is it, I don't think this is really indicative of any way 
the game is going necessarily in terms of how we evaluate pitching. Uh, you know, there's long been the maxim that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect and it's risky to take pitchers. And I mentioned Hunter green before, and he's already had to undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's out for this year. So maybe there'll be a point where teams aren't willing to risk spending a lot of money on, on pitching prospects only to see them break down. Uh, I don't think that's what happened here in this draft. I just don't think it's a good year for pitching. But, you know, maybe it's something we keep an eye on next year. It's it's something we're thinking about now. And if this continues into a trend, you know, if there's not a pitcher taking the top five picks next year, okay, well, that's the second year in a row that's happened. That's interesting. Um, you know, it's going to be a while to see if that's the way the game is trending. But uh, just really interesting positionally. Also, lots of shortstops taken early in this draft. Um, I think in part that's teams announcing players as shortstops. A lot of them are going to be moving to second base or third base. Um, I think in part that's just because teams are seeing that the shortstop position is changing. Uh, just because you're big, you're somebody like Corey Seager, doesn't mean you have to move to third base eventually. Uh, or Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, a lot of people thought he was going to be too big for shortstop. That's obviously not the case. Uh, Frankie Lindor showing that it, even if you're small – as a shortstop and a gifted athlete, uh, just who's defense first, you can eventually grow into power. Uh, how much of a leash some of these guys are going to have once they enter the pros will be interesting. But uh, a lot of teams announcing players as shortstops. Uh, so we'll have to keep some of the, these first rounders in mind as they enter the, the pros going forth. Uh, just two teams I want to mention real quick in terms of draft like who they actually took as a group. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks is somebody we mentioned coming into the draft as having seven picks in the top 75. Uh, they went pretty high school heavy early on, taking Corbin Carroll out of Washington State, uh, Washington State High School, I should say, uh, at number 16. Blake Walston out of North Carolina High School. He's a left-handed pitcher at number 26. And Brendan Malone at number 33. Uh, Brendan Malone one of my favorite picks in the drafts because he, he was 20th ranked probably slipped because of a little, you know, he had a number in mind that no team is going to be able to meet Arizona picks him up with the first comp pick. Uh, he had one of my favorite quotes of the draft. He said, they said, who do you model your game after? He said, Marcus Stroman and Chris Archer. Uh, he wants to bring fun to the game. He likes guys who look like they're enjoying themselves more of that in baseball, please. And Brendan Malone could fit right in there with the Arizona diamondbacks. Uh, so it seems like they're going after guys who were slipping a little bit, at least in Malone's case, and willing to use that large bonus pool. What, speaking of bonus pools, the New York Mets made one of the most fascinating picks in the draft in the third round. We haven't talked about anything that late. They went with their first two picks, Brett Beatty, third baseman out of uh, Texas High School. He, Good by power. the way, is the one who's 19 and a half. That's the one I was Brett. thinking of, another Texas high school guy. Bobby Wood Jr. went to Colleyville Heritage High School, and uh, Brett Beatty went to Lake Travis High School. But, yeah, born November 13th, 99, but is a high school senior. Right. Uh, but, you know, lots of lots of size with him. And, and you don't have to worry about projectability necessarily with him because the power is already there. Uh, the hit tool is already there. They take Josh Wolf at number two. And then they take Matthew Allen, who when I was getting ready for the draft, I wrote a lot of blurbs on these guys just so I would be ready to go and plug them in for our draft coverage. And Matthew Allen is somebody who I wrote because I thought he was a first round talent. MLB Pipeline had him as the 13th best prospect in this draft. Uh, right-handed pitcher coming out of a Florida high school. 
once he started slipping, everybody just assumed he was going to the University of Florida. And like we were saying before, if you don't think you're going to sign a guy, you usually don't take him in the top 10 rounds. So everybody thought he would slip all the way to the 11th round. Mets swoop in and take him in the third round, and they seem to think they can sign him. I, One of the numbers I heard thrown out there was like $4 million. The approximate pick value for where he got picked was 667000 So after they took Allen and – the Mets said publicly, listen, we think we can sign him. They took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight college seniors in a row. College seniors have very little very leverage. Yeah. They, they're just happy to be drafted. They're happy to enter pro ball. They can't say like, hey, listen, I'm not going to sign. I'm going to go back to school. They can't go back to school. So usually these guys sign sometimes for five digits. Um, and if you like the talent enough, you take them in the – fourth or fifth round uh, but you don't give them the signing bonus necessarily that some of these other guys are getting so those savings they're going to get off those players they're going to put towards Allen, towards Beatty and towards wolf and try to make this a really robust class be fascinating to see if they pull it off it's probably going to come down to the wire um, but good on the mets and brody van wagenen's front office in their first draft taking big swings like this hopefully if you're a mets fan it pays off by the way, they took nine straight uh, fourth-year college seniors, as Sam noted. Then they took one high school senior, Blaine McIntosh, in the 13th round, and then four more four-year college seniors after that. So banking a lot on being able to, to throw a sum at Matthew Allen that could get him into the organization. Um, some really interesting stuff in the MLB draft's first couple of days. And again, wrapping up draft day number three right now as we're recording this 530 Eastern time on uh, Wednesday, the 5th of June, and they have moved into round number 36. We're already like three rounds into uh, the discussion or three rounds into the draft since our discussion started about the draft. Uh, but with that, we're going to go back to night number one. Kelsey Hannigan was there with Sam uh, on draft night number one at MLB Network in Chicago's New Jersey and caught up with a gigantic human being in Jackson Rutledge, who was on uh, on MLB Network that night. He was in studio, obviously, from San Jacinto College North, uh, San Jacks in Texas, one of the premier junior college programs in the country. Went to the Washington Nationals with the 17th overall selection. Rated as the 12th best prospect uh, in the draft class, according to MLB Pipeline, six foot eight, 250 pounds. He told Kelly Nash on MLB Network, I can't wait to get up there and be a teammate of Max Scherzer as quickly as possible. And uh, seems like a guy with a really good head on his shoulders. And Kelsey got a chance to catch up with Jackson Rutledge at the MLB draft on Monday in New Jersey. Tell me, what is this experience like for you being here at the draft? It's been incredible. Um, I mean, you look around at the guys that are uh, representing the teams here, and it's just so cool to meet those guys. Um, guys like Randy Johnson, you look up to as a kid, and uh, you know it's been awesome being in New York. Uh, a lot of good food, which I'm not complaining about. So <laughs> definitely, have you talked to Randy? Uh, I got a chance to talk to him for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Did he give you any advice? <laughs> I mean, uh, just what it's like to be a tall guy. <laughs> yeah, make sense. Um, what was it like for you, just in uh, junior college, dealing with scouts, but not necessarily like the national media attention, but going through this process? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's certainly a lot of scouts at, at all of my games, but you know, my coaches did a good job handling them, not letting them get too too aggressive on me. So I just kind of focused on doing me and, and doing what I need to do to get ready and perform, and uh, kind of let that all play out. And I know you transferred um, from Arkansas, and there might have been an injury involved. What, in, what went into that decision for you? Yeah, so I had surgery on my hip. I had a torn labrum in there. Um, so that was really the main reason I decided to transfer. I uh, figured it would be safer to uh, go to somewhere um, where I know I could I could develop and I could uh, get back to healthy. I know you thought about going 
to back to D1 school. Um, did this draft process kind of hit you a little quicker than you thought it would? Um, a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I kind of made it my goal to get drafted uh, once I decided to transfer to St. Jack. Um, you know, certainly didn't expect it to this point, but um, you know, it's, it's kind of what I've worked for and everything played out. Yeah, I know a lot of players, especially like Nate Pearson, most recently have gone the junior college route. How has that prepared you? I think it's, uh, you know, some of the best preparation you can have for pro ball because, you know, you're kind of working on your own. You're on your own routines. Um, there's certainly guys there to support you and the coaching staff, but really you have to take care of yourself. And it's not the, the babysitters like they have in a lot of Division One schools. Um, it makes you grow up really fast. That's true, just like in the minor leagues. Right. Uh, how has your stuff developed to the point where you realize, like, hey, I think I'm ready for pro ball? Um, I think it was really not a physical thing, but a mental thing. Um, you know, I kind of matured after, uh, after my time at Arkansas and um, kind of found myself, you know, being able to, like I said, take care of myself and um, do what I need to do to get better, and I think it's kind of when I realized I was ready. Yeah, you just sound pretty mentally prepared. How do you think your stuff will translate to pro ball? Uh, I mean, there's certainly things I can get better at. Uh, the change of the curveball consistency, definitely two things. Um, but, you know, I think right now I could, I could get some of the highest level hitters out, and, um, you know, there's... Uh, certainly a lot, room, a lot of room to work, but um, you know, I think I'm ready. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to about being in the minors football? Looking forward to playing baseball again. It's been uh, about four weeks off and uh, it's been too long. So with that, a big thanks to Kelsey and to Sam for draft night coverage from MLB Network on Monday. And uh, you can get all of the uh, breakdowns on first-round selections from Sam up on the site right now, MLB, MILB.com. And MLB.com has the round-by-round, pick-by-pick uh, -pick summaries of everything and all of their draft coverage, MLB Pipeline as well. You can check out um, and some really fun stuff coming out of the MLB draft in 2019. And with that, we'll pivot to three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And we'll kick things off looking back at the month of May on this our first episode of june and a lot of guys who really busted out with some big months sam who is your pick for player of may yeah this is somebody we actually haven't talked about that much which i guess is exciting in terms of we're talking about him now and he's actually in the major leagues he did so well in may that he pushed his way to the majors uh my pick is dj stewart in the baltimore orioles system now of the baltimore orioles major league club uh he's the number 15 prospect in that system a first round pick in 2015 uh Always had a pretty decent bat. I mean, that's mostly what he was drafted on uh, because he had some defensive concerns. Not exactly a power hitter, not exactly a speedster, um, but the hit tool was going to need to play. And it has and fits and starts in the minor leagues. He actually got a major league debut last September, made the most of it, uh, hitting 250 in that month, got a couple of home runs, uh, hit three in 17 games. So, you know, it showed a little bit of something, um, but had, got off to a rough start this year back at AAA Norfolk. Didn't look like a major league return was around the corner after he had a 701 OPS in April. And then in May, just turned it on and was doing things we have never seen DJ Stewart do. Mind you, again, this is in AAA, a new ball is involved. Um, it's no surprise to see the power numbers jump a little bit, but month to month, this was kind of insane. So over 19 games with Norfolk before he got called up, DJ Stewart hit 456 with a 512 OBP and an 882 slugging percentage. That's a 1.395 OPS. He had 17 extra base hits in, in 19 games. Uh, that's five homers, two triples, and 10 doubles. He drove in 27 runs in 19 games, and he had an even – 
strikeout to walk ratio. He struck out 10 times, walked 10 times. Uh, absolutely insane no matter who was doing it. If we did that in the PCL, we'd say, hey, those are PCL numbers. He did this in the IL, uh, which is really, really neat. Um, again, got called up to Baltimore on May 28th. Uh, has played six games for them this year. Hasn't really translated yet. He's three for 21 there with seven strikeouts. Um, but, you know, he did all the things you are going to need to do to push your way to the major leagues. Orioles are in a space now where anybody who's hot is getting called up, is getting a chance to show what they can do at the major league level. Even though it's major league games they're playing, they're essentially doing major league auditions for the long term uh, down there in Baltimore are you going to be part of this rebuild for long or are you going to be a guy who's up and down? Uh, again, only six games for him so far in the majors this year. He'll have a little bit more time to prove himself. But if somebody who hadn't hit for much power, I think he had 21 homers for Bowie a couple of years ago, but power numbers have gone consistently down. Uh, had seen the hit tool go down a little bit, but he's always had plate discipline. He's put it all together in May in, in really exciting ways and really earned that major league call-up. So my my player of the month is DJ Stewart there with AAA Norfolk. Uh, Tyler, who you got? Well, you make comments about, oh, we'd say those are PCL numbers. My guy put up PCL numbers. Um, <laughs> Luis Arias, who is the infield prospect with the San Diego Padres. The reason why um, I like him in May, his May numbers actually weren't as good as his April numbers, but the sample size in April was limited to 12 games because he spent the rest of that month at the major league level. Uh, went up, didn't do that great in San Diego uh, across 11 games of the major league level, an 083 batting average and a 366 OPS. A lot of guys get sent back down to the minor leagues that kind of affects them and they struggle not Luis Arias who went out and slashed 351 462 608 over 27 games in May he hit six homers drove in 15 he also walked 19 times against 20 strikeouts back in April he struck out 13 times in April and walked only five times 19 walks to 20 strikeouts in May um, Luis Arias is the the guy who everybody kind of feels at some point is going to be the one to the left of Fernando Tatis Jr. in San Diego and Right now, that's Ian Kinsler when Fernando Tatis Jr. gets back up there. Uh, but if if Luis Arias is doing this for another sustained stretch of time in June, and so far it certainly looks like it, he started June uh, with a 412 average and a 1206 OPS through his first four games uh, with two doubles and a homer in his first seven hits for the month. I would not be surprised if we see him get that call back to San Diego before too long. The question right now is at what point do you make that call to try to give him that job uh, at the major league level? The Padres have gotten not a ton of production so far this season uh, out of Ian Kinsler, but Luis Arias goes up and, and did not show that great in his first time through at the major league level. So is, is trip number two in 2019, maybe the thing that sticks for him. Um, but a guy who is uh, a heck of a lot of fun to watch right now with the way things have gone at the triple A level for him this season. Granted, uh, there are a lot of guys at the triple A level who are doing those things this year, but Luis Luis Arias, we know his pedigree throughout his time in the minor leagues is that he can hit pretty much everywhere he goes, and he's been really, really impressive with El Paso so far this season. So he is my selection. Still just 22, by the way. Uh, so Padres fans can continue to get overly excited about dudes who are like, how is everybody in that organization who is really good is like 22 or younger? Tatis is 20, Mackenzie Gore is 20, Luis Patino is 19. Like, none of that is fair. Adrian Morajon is 20. Like, I get it that you're, you know, loaded up with – even Logan Allen's only 22. <laughs> Michelle Baez is 23. He's like the elder statesman. There was a uh, – fair. 
it was Logan Allen's 22nd birthday, I think a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if it was the Padres or El Paso. I think it was El Paso tweeted out a picture of him coaching first base as starting pitchers sometimes do on their off days. And I just tweeted out that, you know, happy birthday to him. I know he's turning 22 today, but you could convince me he looks 45 and has held this first base job for three years. And he liked it. And I hope he got the joke that I was going for there. It was just like not a flattering picture. The fact that he is that young and already a triple A and was in the major league mix this spring is is fascinating and good for him. Um, I'd also throw in there Xavier Edwards was their, you know, one of their top picks last year. He just entered the top 100. Um, so if, if you think that Padre system is going to get – any older soon it's it's not happening they're just completely replenishing uh these premium positions on the field so yeah and by the way he's 19 <laughs> yeah well yeah right top 10 prospects nine of them are 22 or younger ryan weathers is the other one we haven't named now we've named everybody uh ryan weathers and josh naylor <laughs> josh naylor's graduated to the major league level but ryan weathers is 19 uh left-handed pitching prospect with fort wayne uh kind of ridiculous that san diego system uh logan allen also by the way one of the myriad minor leaguers who bears a passing resemblance to a uh, former co-host of the show before the show podcast, Jake Siner. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. No. Look at his picture on, I mean, not his headshot necessarily, but his pipeline photo, the actual in-game shot of him throwing a pitch. He looks like Jake, except his elbow is not exploding. Well, yeah. Thankfully, Jake's <laughs> elbow is no longer exploding. Thankfully. He is off the IL, but... <laughs> Um, I'll right. tell him you said that. I, I will okay. get a word from him and see what he says. Who was it? Tre- uh, who was it in the Cubs organization? Yeah, it, it was Trevor, Trevor Williams. Tre- no. I, I can't, can't remember. remember. There was somebody who was identical to Jake, like creepily so. And I remember the first time I brought it up and, and sent the link to Jake, he was like, oh, he really does look like me. <laughs> it's kind of frightening sometimes. Nobody looks like me because I look like I'm 62 years old. And that's a, a bu- although maybe Logan Allen apparently looks super old. Logan Allen, I we can have a conversation about what that's like. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll move on to strike two. It is All Star season already. We're just a couple of weeks away from minor league All Star games across the landscape. The Midwest League and the South Atlantic League announcing their squads. What are some standouts from the Midwest and Sally League, Sam? Yeah, well, if there's one of these that I'm going to get really excited about, it's it's the Midwest League. Uh, that was announced today, the day we're recording, and just going over that roster was absolutely fascinating to see how many names are already, I won't say household names necessarily, but in terms of people who follow this kind of thing, who follow minor league baseball, who follow follow big-time prospects, who followed the draft last year, you'll recognize a lot of these. Uh, Wander Franco is you know, the top prospect who's going to be there. Juan Franco is going to be the top prospect in pretty much every game he plays until he graduates as a prospect, I think. Uh, but he's going there representing the Eastern All-Stars. Nolan Gorman, one of the best power prospects in the game, he's going to be going representing the Cardinals and the Western roster. Uh, so you, on either side, there's going to be a really interesting infielder. Uh, but just to go through some of these other names, Bryce Terang, really high pick last year for the Brewers organization. He's had a solid season. He's going to start at shortstop right next to Nolan Gorman, uh, which is really cool. Xavier Edwards, who I just brought up, has one of my favorite hit tools in the minors. Guy makes a ton of contact, uh, and he's also hitting well within the, the mid 300s this season he's going to be starting at second base tyler freeman uh, another player who's becoming one of my favorite prospects uh, with the cleveland indians 
he's going he's hitting 314 with 22 extra base hits this year uh so those are just some of the top 100 names we're talking about here um but not beyond that if you are have the chance to go the game is in south bend this year go because there's also a home run derby and will benson will be there he got named to the all-star team which is no surprise the guy's hit 16 home runs this year four of which came in one game he's been the midwest league player of the week multiple times this season i think at least three it might be four at this point uh but putting benson against gorman in a home run derby is going to be really really neat uh there are sometimes home run derbies that we talk about for a while afterwards or batting practice sessions that we talk about for a while afterwards. I'm thinking about Joey Gallo at the Futures game a couple years ago where he hit a car. I'm thinking about Eloy Jimenez when he hit a light stanchion, literally shattered lights in a home run derby. I think it was the Carolina League home run derby. Uh, putting Benson against Gorman in the Midwest League home run derby it has the ingredients to be the stuff of legends. Uh, let's see how they follow through on that. So if you're in the area, be sure to watch that game. Also going to throw it out just real quick that somehow, some way for the Midwest League All-Star Game, there will be a concert celebrating that fact performed on June 16th by none other than Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. For the Midwest League All-Star Game? Yes. Pitbull. There's going to be a Pitbull concert in South Bend for or in celebration of the Midwest League All-Star Game. I mean, Don't know mayor, how they pulled that off, but the mayor could be president now. Pitbull's going to South Bend. It's all kinds South of things. Bend, yeah, South Center Bend of is the where it's happening, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if that says more about the Midwest League or more about Pitbull, <laughs> where he is at this stage of his or career. Or just the fact that but it's in South Bend, Indiana, is fascinating. Yeah, I mean South Bend, obviously where Notre Dame is. There, there's some pull yeah, there. He's a big I'm Irish sure. fan. It, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't think of somebody who's. Pitbull, Very, huge, huge Newt Rockney guy, Pitbull. Yeah, as a guy yeah. who's really tied into Miami, I'm sure he is a big Notre Dame fan. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to know the machinations of that. Maybe we can put Ben on that, trying to find out exactly how that happened. Huh. Um, and with that, strike three, Adam Hazley up to the major league level for the Philadelphia Phillies, a third-ranked prospect in that system, has joined the big league club. When this move was announced, it was because Andrew McCutcheon was set to undergo an MRI for an injury that he suffered a couple of days ago at San Diego. We have since learned, of course, unfortunately, that Andrew McCutcheon is done for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, he is truly one of the best guys in all of baseball, and that is a tremendous bummer. And Andrew McCutcheon, the thing that I think is tough about it is you you look at where Kutch is in his career and think you know that's a guy you really pull for to win a ring at some point 32 years old now obviously he's not over the hill by any stretch but you kind of wonder how many good years do guys have now in this modern uh, era of Major League Baseball and Kutch uh, done for the season with a torn left ACL but where that door closes it opens the door for Adam Hazley who has made it up to the Major Leagues after a really really short time at triple a uh hazley had just been promoted to triple a lehigh valley uh from double a reading on the 29th of may and then the philly selected his contract on june 4th so only six games up at the triple a level so you can get a little bit better read of where he was via his double a numbers 41 games with reading 268 356 471 for an 827 ops uh but adam hazley a first round selection back in 2017 university of virginia product another guy in uh, a pipeline of philly's prospects that that fan base has been really excited about for a while yeah i mean this phillies outfield definitely needs a lot of help um they signed bryce harper in the offseason they 
sign Andrew McCutcheon in the offseason. Uh, and they had Odubel Herrera there. And Odubel Herrera is going through some legal issues right now and uh, don't know when he's going to be back, if he's going to be back, uh, whether he, he should be back. Uh, and then you have McCutcheon go down. They traded for Dre Bruce uh, from the Seattle yeah. Mariners. Uh, that gives you an idea of what they're trying to do to get help. So Adam Hazley, you know, somebody who they always dreamed would be part of this outfield, maybe not this quickly, just two years after he was drafted. Uh, but he was drafted as a college bat. They're always the chance that those guys can move quickly. And, you know, he was before he moved up to Triple A Lehigh Valley, as Tyler mentioned, he was incredibly hot at Double A Reading uh, in May. Over 24 games, he hit 337 with a 994 OPS, five homers, one triple, five doubles, uh, three steals. About, you know, pretty close to even, pretty good strikeout to walk ratio, 16 strikeouts, 11 walks in those 24 games. Um, so he had started to turn things around and he carried that a little bit to Lehigh Valley in, in six games, uh, you know, going eight for tw- 25, which is a 320 average with three doubles. Um, so, you know, the Phillies have seen something in him. They, He's always been a kind of hit tool first guy. He can play multiple positions in the outfield. He, they're kind of slotting him into center field right now, um, but he has played right field in the past. He's played left field in the past. One of the issues was he was coming up at the same time as Mickey Moniak, who, you know, for all his offensive struggles, could be a gifted center fielder. Um, so Hazley now doesn't have anybody really blocking him in center field with the Phillies, gets the chance to roam out there. Uh, we'll see how that kind of translates to the major league level as well. But, you know, the Phillies, they're, they're trying to go for it this year. There's no doubt about that. You don't spend on McCutcheon. You don't spend on Harper, especially if you're not going for it this year. Uh, if you think Hazley is one of the best outfielders in the system, one of the three best outfielders who are healthy and currently able to be on the major league roster, bring him up now, give him his chance to fly and see how – Things go from there. It certainly helped that he got hot in May. This doesn't happen if he's not. But um, yeah, good on Adam Hazley for for pushing his way and, and you know creating or uh, you know creating the chance to be called up, even if it is in such sad circumstances as losing Andrew McCutcheon in the way the Phillies did. Get well soon, Kutch. And that'll wrap up three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We uh, don't ordinarily go straight to Ben Hill from this. And as baseball writers, like players, we are creatures of habit. And I am uncomfortable in tossing straight from three strikes to Ben. But it's the world we live in. Benjamin Hill joins us next. Big week around the promotions landscape for minor league baseball. Benjamin Hill joins us for a discussion of all of it. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra. Sitting to my left, we are in conference room 5M, which is very, very spacious. Um, when I walked in, on the there was a on the big flat screen TV, there was a big message that said, you are the only person in this meeting, <laughs> which was not true because Sam was already here. Yeah, Sam said I mean, that it feels like the type of room where James Bond would like meet with a villain. I could I could see that. You have to adjust the lighting a little bit. Maybe get some uh what do you call like candelabras? Ooh. Oh, maybe. With like the melting yeah, wax. I've... Yeah. Yeah, there's no wax anywhere in this office at all. We should also be sitting at opposite ends of the table just for cinematic effect. That is absolutely the case. We yeah. should we should record our segments with a uh Double, double-headed mic from opposite ends of the table yeah. every week. <laughs> or just one microphone right in the middle of the table and you have to talk really loud and it's very echoey. I feel like like the uh, draft conference call that's been going on. 
yeah, that always seems to always seems to play out that way for conference calls. Here we're going to talk about this very important move that your franchise made. Well, uh, we're really excited about this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very good. Uh, let's get started with uh, a, a promotion in Stockton, home of the Class A Advanced Stockton Ports, coming up on Saturday. Uh, the Stockton Ports will be playing, will be paying tribute to Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, CCR. A, uh, I actually was just listening to a podcast the other day in which I think it was WTF with Mark Marin, in which he was interviewing somebody, oh, uh, Timothy Oliphant, whose uncle played in a band that once defeated CCR in a battle of the bands in college. Very weird. Uh, this is my second CCR reference in a week, and uh, I'm sure everyone was very thrilled to learn that. And if you also listen to that episode, you're thinking, hey, I, I remember hearing that weird fact too. Uh, it has nothing to do with the Stockton Ports uh, promo, but that promo is coming up. CCR has a very well-known lyric uh i'm stuck in lodi again and uh they're going to be wearing some lodi themed jerseys and uh, going in all in on ccr we've seen a lot of promotions in the past with you know the beatles and the rolling stones and, and a lot of other bands ccr i don't feel like this one comes up all that often i don't think ccr has ever come up in a uh, minor league baseball rock and roll theme night before at least i'm not able to find an example of it um i personally am a big fan of ccr which is one of the reasons i was motivated to write about this um you know i, I write about a lot of stuff that i don't know about let's just be honest but um when i saw the ports are doing ccr i thought oh, i want to give that a little bit of uh, publicity you know um you know beyond stockton itself because i think they're an incredible band this is a, a discussion i've had with my friends uh multiple times in various uh, situations but you know I, I sometimes make the case that ccr is the best american rock and roll band of all time and uh, i think a pretty strong case can be made for that argument because um, when you think like when people say oh you know, what's the best uh, what's the best uh, rock and roll band of all time people are like oh beatles stones and then they might go into like pink floyd or you know if you're more metal inclined you know sabbath you know those are all british let's talk about america we're americans and ccr is quite possibly the best american rock and roll band of all time i mean look i'm of the of a, the nirvana generation i love them as well huge fan of guns and roses i think here's your illusion i mean um appetite for i love the illusions but let's not get into that i think appetite for destruction is one of the best albums of all time but if you're talking about best american rock and roll bands and i, I don't mean like your niche favorites your indie heroes i mean ones that everybody knows and that really made an impact i'm gonna say ccr so that's a little digression but I was real cool. I thought it was real cool that the Stockton Ports are paying tribute to CCR. Um, Tyler, you mentioned Lodi. Um, you know that's just about you know 15, 20 minutes away from Stockton, so there's a local connection to this promo. Stuck in Lodi again. Um, the theme jerseys the team are wearing say Lodi on the front and uh, atop a you know, a so-called bad moon rising. So, uh, you've got a reference to both those songs, which incidentally were released on the same, you know, 45, seven inch single. Um, uh, Lodi was actually the B side for bad moon rising. It is also in the year 2019. I mean, we've seen some teams doing, you know, more general tie dye rock and roll Woodstock 50th anniversary promotions. Um, but in 1969 alone, CCR released three albums. I mean, the music, business does not really operate like that anymore but we had uh bayou country which in my opinion is the best ccr album that came out in january green river in august and willie and the poor boys in november so that is a phenomenal body of work to occur just in uh over the span of just one calendar year and uh so you can also look at this as a uh, 50th anniversary promo as well i was trying to think of like who could challenge ccr 
for best American rock. I saw you. I'm sitting next to you. I saw you get a little, uh, not huffy, but a little like, a little like, a little like, hmm. No, uh, Hmm. it it had me thinking in a way that I enjoy thinking. So I was trying to go into, uh, you know, who it could be, who who could take over for it. Um, I I worked at a radio station where a guy was so hell-bent on convincing everyone that the that the Eagles were the greatest band of all time, not just the greatest American band, the greatest American rock band, the greatest band of all time. And if somebody said, like, what about the Beatles, he would, like, lose his mind with how angry the Beatles made him because he thought that the Beatles were just, like, the JV version of what the Eagles ended up being. Uh, so anybody who's that well, committed to the Eagles, maybe you can, you, can, uh, you can fight this battle as well. I mean, I was thinking the Eagles could have been it. Have we ever had an Eagles promo? I've never seen an Eagles promo, and nor do I want to see one. Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's focus on solid bands. If we want to do a little Joe well, okay. Joe Walsh, sure. Let's do some salute to James Gang, but Eagles, nah. Beach Boys, Beach Boys. Uh, you know, uh, I think that's an interesting one because Pet Sounds is one of the most influential albums of all time. But right. I think their legacy is kind of tarnished by being a, uh, you know, touring oldies you know summertime at the boardwalk kind of uh revival show for decades now where they don't really seem like an active concern you can still go see or for years you were able to see bands that still had some weight and meaning and i don't think beach boys really you know feel like that when john stamos is the drummer or whatever the case may be (laughs) okay well i'm just but that's true but they made an impact over a short number of years like ccr did you know they, they didn't go on for decades they 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 burned. Uh, they lived hard and burned out pretty quickly uh, as a unit, uh, for sure. I would just like to see an Ohio night, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, for like Lake County. Can we make that happen? Yeah. When, you, when did that song come out? Uh, that was about fifty years but ago. That, that song doesn't quite work for like a celebration. You don't really want to celebrate <laughs> the fiftieth anniversary of Kent State. I mean, it should be commemorated. It should be. Commemorated, uh, but I'm yeah. not sure you're going to wear uh, Ohio themed jerseys. I really do not know how that would work. Uh, Joe Walsh, if you if you again, if you want to do the Eagles, Joe Walsh is from Ohio. James Gang formed in Ohio, so Lake County captains do a salute to James Gang. Or, or we don't want somebody becoming like the California Hotels. <laughs> I mean, a team suiting up as the the California hotels. Yeah, or the hotels or the ho- California. Or the Hotel Californias. The Hotel Californias. Or the Hotels California. The ho- Hotels California. But there's no team in Winslow, Arizona. Be very easy. Wait, is that Steve Miller? Standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Take it easy, the Eagles. Oh, it's the Eagles. See, Ben is Ben is refuting any Eagles related content. Steve Miller, Steve Miller band would be kind of fun. Be kind of a fun one. Yeah, I said Steve Miller when you said Winslow, Arizona, because I was just thinking of that lyric, uh, whatever, Arizona on the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Ah, Atlanta, L.A., Northern California. I think the girls are warm there. You can hear Sweet Mama say something. Um, (laughs) Spoken word album now. Yeah, that's exactly how he sounds. Keep on rocking me. Anyway, um, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, hit, hit us it's up. interesting possibilities, I think, is what it we're is. really getting at here. We're not trying to rank the top five. No, but what is your favorite American rock and roll band of all time? Um, you know, email me, benjamin.hill at mlb.com. Hit me up uh, at Ben's Biz or, or email the podcast. Yeah, podcast we, can, we can make a reader's poll out of this if we get enough submissions. Yeah, what's the best American band of all time? Anyway, that's what we cover on this, pod- on this minor league baseball podcast. Yeah, Stockton Ports, Saturday, CCR night. Be there or be square. They'll be playing CCR all night long. And if you're named uh, John, Tom, Cliff, or Doug, you can get in for $6.80. Wow. 
played uh, club baseball in college with a dude named John Tom. So that was very strange you said that. If your name is John Tom, I was like, man, that is specific. I got a guy who can <laughs> cash in on that. How weird. <laughs> I'm sure John Tom could get in. He'll get a discount at the sports game. That's, that's brothers Tom and John Fogarty. As it were. That works. All right. So, what are the other some of the other ones uh, that we got coming out? Because this is your promo preview, so it's leading with Stockton Ports, but you got info on a couple other. Uh, yeah, this particular column, I did the old school promo preview format. Looked at stuff coming up. Um, you know, uh, certainly on a more somber note, but it's the 75th anniversary of D-Day, and uh, on June 7th, uh, Friday, and uh, the Altoona Curve were the only team I know of who are wearing D-Day anniversary jerseys um i think which is pretty cool a way to celebrate the 75th anniversary of that i believe there'll be a giant tank at the ballpark if i'm not mistaken and um an actual world war ii stewart tank brought back from, from norman wow so. that's a pretty cool thing to see at the ballpark and interact with reenactors from the furious fourth infantry brigade i did not know there were world war ii reenactors I, we associate that in the civil war realm but yeah. you can interact with d-day reenactors uh, from the furious fourth in- infantry brigade so that's a pretty cool one going on in altoona um, I know uh, later in the week we have the uh, Downies oh, – Saturday, Downies Wood Ducks playing as the Kinston Collard Greens um, as part of their farm weekend promo. So um, if you ever wanted to uh, get some Collard Green merchandise, uh, the the logo is pretty cool. It's a throwback uniform, pinstriped Kinston Collard Greens. The whole thing is really well done, I got to yeah, say. It is. It, it is. It looks pulled directly out of like a black and white photo. Yeah. That they've colorized after the fact. Um, it has the yeah, look of a just team really that would have played in Kinston back in like the 1920s in like the North Carolina Plains League or something like that. Right. And also the logo looks something like very early Disney. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, kind of like a Steamboat Willie type situation. So that, That's a good one. And, and moving away from my column specifically, but I just think something we have to mention that was announced this week and got a lot of play. Um, June 20th. Wisconsin Timber Rattlers Salute to Cows promo. They are uh, going to rename themselves on June 20th as the Utter Tuggers, uh, in case you did not uh, come across that on social media. If you somehow missed. If you somehow missed the Utter Tuggers, that's U-D-D-E-R Tuggers, T-U-G-G-E-R-S, <laughs> the Utter Tuggers. So I thought, I don't know, when you say Utter Tuggers, I think people will be like, what? What did he say? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, right. The it's, yeah. Utter Tuggers, meaning people who... Uh, get a nice firm grip on cow nipples and tug them so the milk comes out. Mm-hmm. It's With a, the logo being exactly what you'd expect it to be. Well, it's, it's a brandiose logo, so it's kind of an angry-looking cow upright <laughs> with uh, some very prominent uh, udders. Yeah, ready to be tugged. Ready to be tugged, flapping in the breeze. She does actually not look like she's ready to be tugged at all. She looks like someone just tugged her, and she's like, hands <laughs> off. enough. Yeah. Hands off. Um but, you know, that's a funny thing because Wisconsin – I remember some of the earliest promo columns I ever wrote going back more than a decade. I would write about the Timber Rattlers' salute to cows. It would be part of, you know, dairy industry appreciation. The dairy industry is very big in Appleton, Wisconsin and the surrounding area. Um, so this is not like a new concept in terms of the promo itself. It just speaks to where minor league baseball's collective mind is at, that you can take this established property like, you know, salute to cows night and say, okay – now we're in this realm where we can change our names. You know, we're not just going to change our name to the Wisconsin Cows or or something like that. You know, we're going all out. We're going to be the Utter Tugger. So that's June twentieth. And uh, if you're into Utter Tugger merchandise, I think they already sold out. But don't worry, they'll get more. And uh, 
I'm sure you'll be a better man or woman for it if you're representing the Utter Tuggers uh, on your torso or head. Sam, minor league baseball also this week uh, announced that the – did I just say Sam? Ben. Yeah. I was thinking about, and Sam and I have been talking so much about Chernobyl. There's a very disturbing scene with a cow in Chernobyl. I'm not going to elaborate on it, but you're talking about utter tuckers. It's all I could think about. Um, Minor League Baseball also this week announced that uh, it will be undertaking what is essentially the largest pride celebration in all of sports. And this is a a really cool initiative um, in which kind of all the teams have come together under one umbrella, all the teams that are having pride nights. MILB posted a a graphic that was kind of a calendar of which teams are going to be hosting events on what days through the rest of the season um take us through this pride night initiative ben yeah i mean we've talked about pride nights in minor league baseball through the years um they've existed kind of sporadically and haphazardly and you know in fits and starts and small areas of growth you know over the last decade i mean i remember writing about pride nights in maybe 2012 or so and being like wow like a team's actually going to do a pride night it seems something you know new and unique um because you know like it or not i mean I don't like it. I'm sure we don't like it, but uh, you know, there is. It's still somehow a controversial concept to have. Right. We a, should say we don't like the, the controversy. Yeah, we don't like the controversy. <laughs> we don't like the, the the idea that we're talking about this of like wow, like I can't believe they did. But I remember feeling that way, like in 2012, 2013, seeing teams do it and being like, wow, they're actually going to do it. Feeling like it's just too almost radical to do in in a minor league ballpark. Um, it doesn't feel that way because. Um, the LGBTQ community makes up a, you know, obviously minority population, but a sizable element of anywhere in the United States because that community is always going to be there. And in minor league baseball, which is trying to be as all things to all people and inclusive and fan fan friendly, that's just another segment of your market that that you want to reach out to. Um, you know, so strictly from a business standpoint, you know, I think it makes sense. Um, although some might say it doesn't make sense because of all the other people you might alienate through having one of these who have you know conservative social views. I think what we've found from teams that have done them in the past is you know you get some social media pushback, you get the inevitable uh, idiotic when straight night, which just is a very silly argument. Um, that sort of thing. You have some. You might have some season ticket holders complain. Uh, a few people who say they'll never be back. But I think these are storms that you know almost any team can weather. I realize this is a big, diverse country in terms of um, you know acceptance of these sort of things. What works in one market might not work in another. All of this is to say that the number of pride nights in minor league baseball um, they t- it took a dramatic leap. There were about 19, I believe, in 2017, and then 41 uh, in 2018, and then minor league baseball. You know, said okay. You know, we're seeing this grow on a grassroots, individual, club by club level. So, how about we create a top-down initiative to provide resource to encourage the concept and provide teams uh, resources and talking points and uh, national partnerships and and connections with local organizations and what have you. Uh, sort of a more top-down initiative to smooth the process of um, you know, if you've done a Pride Night before, of furthering that process and almost more importantly, uh, if you haven't done one, to get on board. Um, so this is you know in sheer numbers the largest pride night initiative of any sport uh there are 65 teams taking part in uh 2019 uh, staging a pride night at the ballpark um 
was talking to Vince Pearson, uh, minor league baseballs. I always forget his exact title. It's uh, some uh, diversity, diversity uh, director of diversity and inclusion for minor league baseball. Yeah, you know, I spoke to Vince in the past. I've known him for a number of years. Uh, I think really does good look, good work for minor league baseball in their you know, St. Petersburg office. Um, you know, so he organized a lot of this, and you know, he was saying, you know, some teams are just kind of dipping a toe in the water. Some are doing a full dive in. Um, we're not telling you what approach to use, but we're here as a resource. Um, and then minor league baseball is then making it a you know more industry collective um a, a more top-down thing saying this is what we as an industry are doing with these 65 teams and it's part of minor league baseball's larger you know um diversity initiative you know which includes the copa program and uh, the women in baseball program so it's um just another element in a larger uh decade-long uh effort to open up minor league baseball both front offices and uh, fan bases um you know to, to more uh, diverse populations and to engage uh, with as many people in your marketplace uh, as as possible. So I wrote a story on that, talking about how it came together. Um, you know, from the from the top-down national perspective, and incorporated some teams, um, you know, who uh, have experience in doing these promotions. And uh, that's what I'm working on right now. It'll be on the site uh, the same day this podcast drops, uh, Thursday, tomorrow, today. If you're listening to this uh, on the day that the podcast comes out. Um, Mill Pride, Pride Night Initiatives, 65 teams taking place. Um, and of course, June, or 65 teams taking part, and June is Pride Month. So not every Pride promotion is taking place in the month of June, but a uh, majority of them are. And it, we should also mention, tied in with this, again, it is a top down initiative, but a lot of teams are t- changing their social media pictures, including at MILB, to include something rainbow themed for Pride Month. Um, it is a very forward facing initiative. Uh, like you said, some teams are doing, everybody's allowed to do what, whatever they feel comfortable with. And, uh, it, that kind of also reflects what minor league baseball is and that there, it is a diverse group. There's going to be things that are going to work in Reading that are not going to work in the Florida state league or the California league, because these are all in different communities. But, um, you know, this is just another chance for minor league baseball, which we talk about to reflect Americana and the, the country as a whole and the its people as a whole, um, to, you know, Again, whole means everybody. Um, and for one night, you know, everybody gets to come together and, and feel welcoming at the ballpark. And hopefully that spread it, spreads out to every other home game and every other game and uh, other parts of the sport. But um, this is a good place to start. And hopefully it's, it is just the start uh, as more teams kind of see how this works and, and grow in the same way we've seen Copa grow the last couple of years. Yeah. And, um, you know, you see people say like, Oh, I have no problem with this, but I just don't want to have like my face rubbed in it. Um, you know, Pride Nights are not these wild attempts to proselytize and convert someone to a gay lifestyle. They were just saying, you know, we are people in the community, and and we want to make sure you're welcome we at the ballpark, you. and we see you, and, and that's really you. all it is. It's yeah. not, um, it's not anything more than that, and. Uh, Social media can be disheart in the way it can be with many topics is certainly for me looking at some of the responses to this, you know, kind of disheartening, just kind of like no one's trying to, you know, make you think anything you don't want to think, but just accept that it's okay for them to have a night in the ballpark. There's military nights, there's a, you know, deaf culture night, there is a nurses night, a first responders night. Um, there are nights for different ethnic groups that might be populous in a certain area, you know, Hungarian American night, whatever the case may be. 
you know, that's all it is. Right. <laughs> just, yeah. just open up your ballpark to as many people as possible. Celebrate as many diverse segments that you can uh, within your uh, marketplace, within your, and, and make everyone feel as welcome at the ballpark as you can. It doesn't come at the expense of making someone else feel less welcome. It's still the same team, ballpark, operation. Just have fun with it. And it's not that big deal. It's only as big a deal as you want to make it. And uh, people have an issue with it. I just don't quite understand. But anyhow. Well said. Anyhow. Well said, both of you guys. And, uh, and yeah, the first people to scream loudly that they could not care less on social media are also the first people who took time to tell you how little they care. So it's always one of those situations as well. But uh, if you're in one of those uh, communities and you get to go to one of those games, um, you know, tweet us some pictures or, uh, or let us know how you took part in one of the Pride Nights across the minor leagues. Ben's details are all up at the site, MILB.com. Uh, if you're in the Stockton area and you're a big CCR fan, that's coming up on Saturday and uh, all the rest of the stuff as well this weekend. You can check out from Promo Preview at MILB.com, and uh, that'll do it for our conversation with Ben this week. Thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and next week uh, I'll be on the road. I'll be in Amarillo. Yeah, Amarillo. I'll be in Hodgetown. By saying like, "Oh, your next trip's coming up soon." It's the first time that I haven't ended with that, and it's actually coming up next week. Yeah, this time it is. You've been mentioning the trip uh, for weeks, and now uh, now it's on the cusp. I will be in Amarillo, uh, Albuquerque, and El Paso between June twelfth and June eighteenth. So. uh, Hope to see you there if you live in those areas. <laughs> uh, I'll try to talk to you guys from the road at some point next week. and uh, Someplace randomly in Texas, I hope. Yeah, yeah, somewhere on the panhandle. I'm looking forward somewhere to it. Somewhere near the border, for to calling you near El Paso. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somewhere in the mountain time I zone. I don't know where I am right now. but I rarely do. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be on the road next week. Anyway, uh, MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. Check everything out. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking in this very spacious and not at all villainous-seeming conference room. Last segment of this week's episode, 212 of the show before the show, MILB.TV is where you can catch all the top talent in minor league baseball. We're just a couple of weeks away from the start of short season leagues across the country, so you can get your subscription right now and get used to MILB.TV before all the short season teams come online and get their seasons underway with uh, more games for you to watch from all over the place. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? Yeah, so some exciting news this week in that Joe Adele, top Angels prospect, has returned to AA Mobile. Uh, started the year with his own unfortunate injuries. Um, didn't come back to Class A Advanced Inland Empire until late last month. Got a couple of rehab games in with the 66ers. Moved up to Mobile this week. Uh, he's played two games with the Bay Bears so far, going two for nine uh, with a double and one strikeout. So it's just exciting to see him back. He's, you know, the typical really exciting outfield prospect, multiple tools, good hit tool, good power, good speed. Uh, hopefully he's back up to speed now. You know, after coming off some leg injuries, uh, but it, the fact that they have sent him there means he's 100% ready to go. And not only will he be on MILB.TV this weekend uh, for a four-game set, but he'll be playing at home against the Birmingham Barons. Uh, anybody who's been listening to this podcast this year knows that Luis Robert is off to an incredible start. Uh, he started out the year Class A advance. Winston-Salem has not really slowed down that much since moving up the chain to A Birmingham, getting to see two of the best outfield prospects in the same game. How could you say no to that? Uh, they haven't released any pitching probables for any of that yet, so I'll say watch any game that's going to be happening between those two teams i think they're playing friday saturday sunday monday uh so tune in whenever you get the chance to see those guys because probably something's going to happen that you're not going to want to miss later 
Uh, and these are two guys we both believe are going to be major leaguers someday. And it, it'll be fun to see it, to say that you saw them on a double A field, you know, way back in 2019 by the time they do make the majors, which could be this time next year for all we know. So, uh, yeah, that's what I got my eye on this week, my eye on this weekend, Mobile and Birmingham. Tyler, what you got? Uh, left-handed pitcher Ryan Weathers, who we mentioned uh, briefly earlier talking about the San Diego Padres system. He is right now listed as the probable for Class A Fort Wayne on Saturday night at Dayton. And uh, Ryan Weathers, his last start out was rough. He was placed on the, the injured list back in May. On May 5th, he was activated from it on May 19th. He's only made uh, three appearances since then. But going into his last outing, he had a 1.78 ERA through his first seven starts this year. Um, ever since the injury, he's gone really short bursts uh, in his starts. Two and two-thirds against South Bend on May 20th. Three innings against Great Lakes on the 26th, and then two and two-thirds against Great Lakes last time out on the 1st of June. He gave up five runs in that start. That was more then he had allowed basically or nearly as much as he had allowed in his first seven starts combined this season. He had allowed six earned runs uh, through his first seven outings. So trying to get back on track, but he's a really electric guy, left-hander, a first-round pick last year out of Loretto, Tennessee, and son of former major leaguer David Weathers, in case you remember that name, mid-'90s Yankees fans. And uh, Ryan Weathers set to go to the mound on Saturday evening as of right now. And, of course, you can check MILB.com for uh, pitching probables and updates to rotations and all that type of stuff. But as of right now, he is set to go on saturday when fort wayne visits dayton and uh that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show as the dog walks into the room to remind me that she needs to go on a walk uh for sam i'm tyler mom we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.